I made that mistake too in the beginning. I was so passionate about NLP and natural language that I fell in love with the technology and then tried to reverse engineer and find a problem. So a lot of product engineering oriented founders make that mistake. I was one of those. So I would highly recommend people to first find the problem they're trying to solve and then think about how Gen AI or LLM can be helpful for them. Welcome to Building with AI, a show where we host conversations with world-class business leaders in AI to uncover tactical advice that helps you build and scale better AI products. I'm your host, Arun Chaudhry. Today, I'm here with Chris Ramaneni, co-founder and CEO at Fireflies, a platform dedicated to recording, transcribing, and documenting meetings. In this episode, Chris takes us on a journey through his decision to forego studies at Cambridge to embark on the Fireflies journey with a friend. Chris shares a vision that fueled the creation of Fireflies, its future plans, and much, much more. Before we dig in, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Autoblocks, the AI optimization platform product teams use to create world-class AI experiences. So you just launched V0 of your AI feature or product. What's next? Autoblocks unlocks an intuitive yet powerful optimization workflow that helps you continuously understand, improve, differentiate your AI-powered products. Understand how your users interact with your product by connecting user activity to what's happening under the hood of your application. Improve your product thoughtfully and iteratively. Integrate testing of your AI products into your CI workflow and run A-B tests to see what changes are driving great user outcomes. Differentiate your AI products with powerful fine-tuning workflow that lets you turn product usage data into training data. Get started with Autoblocks for free at autoblocks.ai now. Back to the episode. First of all, welcome to the Building with AI show, Chris. Super excited to have you here. To kick off, can you give a quick introduction of yourself and Fireflies and the founding story that led to where the product is today? Sure. I'm Chris Ramanini, co-founder and CEO at Fireflies. So thanks for having me on here, Harun. Quick background on Fireflies. What we do is we build an AI assistant that joins your meetings across Zoom, Google Meet, Teams, and other video conferencing platforms. It joins as a participant. It records, transcribes, and takes notes for you, helps you analyze your conversations, and then search back through any call you've ever had, and really being this knowledge base around all of your conversations. So for one, people know it as our AI note taker that joins meetings and has taken notes for millions of people. And then for others, it helps them be more productive, more focused, all the good things that you would want from an AI assistant. And our vision is really to give each and every person, every knowledge worker in the workplace, a chief of staff, in essence, and help them get work done. And we believe that most of the work originates in meetings, right? Because we spend so much time in meetings and talking about it. And the common question we asked ourselves when we started Fireflies was, why is it that I can remember an email I sent two years ago, but I can't remember a conversation I had two hours ago? So that was really the starting point for Fireflies. And prior to Fireflies, I was a product manager at Microsoft, spent a lot of time working on their data team, as well as on the customer voice team right before I left. And I think part of the things that I did at Microsoft helped prepare me to be a founder, but really it was also just working at a large company, realizing how large companies operate, how much time people are spending in meetings and collaborating. That got me inspired to want to go do something in the collaboration and communication space. You met your co-founder at MIT, and 
what was the conversation that eventually had you land on this problem space as the one that you wanted to tackle? My co-founder and CTO is Sam Udatong. We actually knew each other since college. I went to UPenn, he went to MIT. We met through mutual friends. We did a bunch of hackathons while we were in college, all fully remote, by the way. And so there was a period of two years where Sam and I knew each other online, but had never met in person. Right around the time I was leaving Microsoft, I got an offer to attend grad school at Cambridge, and I had a few weeks before that started. So I flew out to Boston to spend some time with friends over there. Sam had just graduated, so he had a little bit of time before he started work as well. And we decided to work on some products and just be like what it was when we were doing hackathons. We got a VC to give us some office space for free, and every day we'd just go and hack on different things, work on different things, and that kind of led us to saying, this is really fun. So let's try to go down this route and see if we can build something. You want to learn when you're in your 20s. So we thought it was the perfect time. So I said no to Cambridge. Sam said no to some of the offers that he had at the time from other companies. And we moved to San Francisco and started what was Fireflies at the time. The product then was obviously very different from the product we have today. We were building tools on top of email, Chrome extensions, Slack bots, but all with the underlying premise that knowledge is buried inside conversations and we can build tools that can extract knowledge and help people understand conversations. What was, I think, really pivotal in our journey, and I haven't said this often, was one year into the business, things weren't really working out. Sam had an offer to go attend Harvard Business School. He also had an offer from Stanford for grad school. And that was really a pivotal moment where I think any person could have said, yeah, I don't want to do the startup thing. It was fun, but I guess it's not working out. But really credit and kudos to Sam, because at that moment, he said no to Harvard even though our business was unproven out. He said no to the other offers and decided to go heads down and continue building Fireflies. And that's really a testament to his belief and conviction. I think that's worth sharing that if you are in the middle of the road and aren't sure where you're going, sometimes just being a little bit more persistent helps out because in our mind, we had said we were going to go do a startup. We told everyone we were going to go do a startup. You're already halfway through the desert and you don't have a map and you can't go back. So might as well just persevere. And we were naive enough to do that. Well, thanks for sharing that, Krish. I think that's incredible. And the both of you have turned down some very amazing opportunities to continue working on Fireflies. And I'm sure in hindsight, it was a great idea, but I know it must have been very difficult early on when you had the offer from Cambridge and Sam had his own very appealing offers as well. You mentioned the products changed quite a bit since those early days. Can you walk me through the big evolutions of the product since it first launched? The original version of the product that I actually really liked, and I wish I could spend more time on, maybe we'll bring it back at some point in time, was this Chrome extension. Anytime I'm sending messages, emails, LinkedIn chat, any of those things, it would track what I was typing. And if something was an action item or to-do, it would create a to-do list. So it was creating an automatic project management list based on my conversations. So if I were to say, hey, let's meet up next Friday, or I'll send you the presentation over in a few hours, 
hours, it would automatically track that and create a to-do list. So every morning when I woke up, I'd have this to-do list of things to do and complete, which was really valuable to me. But it was one of those things where the technology was unproven at the time. We didn't have OpenAI or LLM. So we were using good old NLP. And the business orientation was, are we targeting individuals? Are we talking consumers, prosumers, businesses? So it wasn't really flushed out at that moment. And so it was something that made me realize that we need to have a clear target market and we need to go after a big opportunity that would get into the hands of lots of people. So that's what led us to think that, hey, meetings are naturally viral and everyone's having meetings. So if we can provide value for meetings, we can definitely be able to solve the distribution part. And so when we started Fireflies, and even to this day, we basically spend little to no money on marketing. It's people seeing the Fireflies note taker in their meetings, they get the meeting recaps, and that gets them excited and wanting to learn more about Fireflies and starting signing up and using it. I've seen and noticed more and more Fred at Fireflies.ai joining meetings, which is, I'm sure, a great sign for you. And it's, it's super interesting. Your orientation originally was around automatically extracting to-do list items based on what people were typing. You mentioned that you were using just classic NLP for that type of task. When you switched over to more of the meeting summarization intelligence orientation, was that also powered using NLP or was that after there were foundation models made readily available and you were using those? I'm curious what that looked like. Prior to all of this Gen AI, Open AI stuff that was out there, we were honestly using BER, other NLP models that were out of the box. We were training our own classifiers. So that's what we were doing. And then when the Gen AI stuff happened, we started looking into it. So our investors were also investors in Open AI. So we were able to get early access almost a year in advance, started to explore using the technology at the time, the APIs, understanding how you can build and improve the summer summarization outputs, which I think LLMs do brilliantly, and different aspects of the product that you have to do manually. Can we have the Gen AI capability help do that better? And what I think helped us was at that time, we already built out the platform. We had the SaaS product in place. And then we were strategically thinking about how to improve or transform the existing technology there and go deep on that. Whereas when I advise companies, other companies coming out of Y Combinator today, one of the common things is you'll see that 60 70% of the cohorts are all using some sort of LLM, some sort of Gen AI. And I think sometimes the industry is dismissive of them and they'll say, hey, they're just building a wrapper. But I think there is some validity to that. If your only defensible moat is just the LLM wrapper on top, that's much harder to defend as a product. You still have to do all the hard things. So for people to realize that, and what I say is that it was a great time to start an AI company two to three years ago so that you can be ready to adopt all of this amazing technology enhancements that have come out. If you're building a startup today, you should make sure that your business is built more than just with the LLM stuff and you're actually solving a problem for people and not something that's cool. I made that mistake too in the beginning. I was so passionate about NLP and natural language that I fell in love with the technology and then tried to reverse engineer and find a problem. So a lot of product engineering oriented founders make that mistake. I was one of those. So I would highly recommend people to first find the problem they're trying to solve and then think about how Gen AI or LLM can be helpful for them. It's exactly like you mentioned, throwing AI as a fix-all solution to, to every different product that you're releasing or parts of the product 
it may seem appealing. It may seem like a good idea, but it's probably better to have a methodology or a set of criterion that you're evaluating like where AI may be most impactful and may actually be worth the effort of implementing. How do you think about the product areas where you decide to deploy some sort of AI capabilities and, and where you decide against it? That's actually a really good question in terms of when and where to use AI. I think that one of the biggest challenges is that you have to also think about are the LLM output actually accurate? And am I trying to solve a subjective problem or an objective problem? Right. So if you're using LLMs to pull out critical data that has to be absolutely right, and sometimes it can hallucinate or it can come up with the wrong answers, that is problematic. Right. And if you're trying to do a mission critical system with LLMs, there's always that 10% fear in the back of your mind that the data that's extracted is going to be incorrect. That's a challenge. That's something that people are going to worry about. So when you are thinking about what you're building, understand what it is that like the system is trying. So summarization, obviously, it's not going to be perfect, but it allows you to understand in like a gist, right? Or knowledge retrieval, uh, which we do where you can search across your entire repository of conversations and get answers to those questions. So I think that if you are trying to do something where it's very qualitative, it's a little bit okay. But if you're trying to do quantitative, extract exact terms, and then drive some sort of business workflow based on that, you'll need to put in better guardrail in place, probably have some sort of human in the loop where a human verifies the output that's sent, and then they approve it so that it can go kick off those workflows. That's just something that you don't have to be a PhD to realize or a machine learning expert. But these are the risks with using these LLMs, because at the end of the day, it is a black box. And you could give it the same question 50 times, and you might get 20 different answers, right? Right. So that's a challenge that we all have to be aware of and even something we deal with here at Fireflies. I want to dig into that a little bit more, but what are the big product suites that you would break some of the AI capabilities into? So meeting summarization being one. I know you're rolling out a bunch of different AI, but if you can maybe give a high level overview of every product area where you've included AI or planning to include AI in the near future. There's a lot, but I'll give a few that are quite exciting that helps us get going right now. One is this chat assistant we call Ask Fred, where instead of having to read the entire summary or transcript, you can just ask questions to Fred about what happened on the meeting, and then you will get answers. So this helps me not have to listen to a meeting, not have to read the entire transcript or summary. And I can just say, hey, how many licenses did the customer want to purchase? When did they want to close the deal by? And he would go through and then get back to me and give me specific answers, as well as reference parts of calls where I can go back and listen to. So I can really go through that one hour call and get to the core points that I care about within five minutes. The other features that we're really excited about is customization of notes. So we're releasing AI notes apps, where if you have a sales call, you can have it take notes for sales specific meetings. If you have a recruiting call, have a different template that you can use for recruiting specific notes. I can even train Fireflies to mimic and take notes in my style. So all of those things have been really helpful with the Gen AI technology. So you're not just getting generic notes, but you can also get customized notes. Even our baseline summarization improved significantly. So we now send you a paragraph level synopsis of the meeting. We'll give you a meeting outline with timestamps. So almost like a table of contents for the meeting, action items that were pulled from the meeting, shorthand bullet point notes. So we're calling all of this super summaries. It's really comprehensive and it covers like the entire meeting in full extent. And there are times when we'll have people email us and say, I don't even think I could spend that much time and effort writing that detailed of notes that you guys do. 
So those have been really, really helpful. Because of these LLMs, it makes it much easier for us to expand to more languages. So as of today, Fireflies now supports 18 different languages beyond English, so Spanish, French, German, Portuguese, Hindi, Japanese, you name it. And so a lot of customers are going to be able to use Fireflies across these different languages. And when you talk to Fred, it will understand those languages and pull out answers based on those languages as well. And so these are just some of the things that we're doing, obviously, insights and analytics as well, supercharging that with all of this like cool technology. One of my favorite features inside Fireflies is like whenever I hear like a nugget or something that was important, I'll go highlight that 30 second text and create a soundbite that I would share with people. Now I can have Fireflies automatically go and create soundbites where I can say, hey, can you go through this meeting and create like all the soundbites where there were feature requests set and it would go and do that, right? It's taking manual process that I would have to manually do, take a lot of time to do and use these LLMs to help me expand out and do that work for me. I think that's like a good way to phrase it is all of this stuff existed already, but how can we automate it a little bit? Awesome. Okay, so there's a lot of surface area in Fireflies where you, you're using AI. Compared to working with traditional code, what are the main nuances pre-production that you've noticed? Like, wh what are the main things that are just very different before Gen AI in your product? Data was always important, whether you were doing pre-generative AI or now. The thing for people to think about is that if you don't have a data strategy, you won't have an AI strategy. People get wound up in what LLMs they use, what models they use, what type of fine-tuning they're doing. But at the end of the day, it's the baseline level data that really matters. And the more you sit down and think about it, if people are being labeled rappers around GPT, the real risk is if you are using this same generic data set that everyone else is using, right? If everyone's, let's say, scraping Yelp or Reddit data and using that to build their experience, that's not a very defensible moat. It's not to say you can't build a great business around it. Like, I'll, I'll give an example of in the past. So there was this product called ITA, which was used by professionals to help find flight tickets back in the day. Or right? it was a really complicated enterprise type product that would help people in the airlines industry find tickets and so forth. Then you have Expedia come out and Expedia built a really nice user interface on top of that same type of data that consumers could use. ITA, I believe, was sold for $700 million. Expedia was sold for more than a billion dollars. I think it was two. But what's important there is that there you could build a really great experience just with UX and UI. It's just going to be harder, but I wouldn't dismiss companies that, let's say, are like rappers. And so I always like to try to come back to this point because those are really important. Like if someone was built on top of AWS back in the day, would they call that a AWS wrapper? You're not building your own servers, so you're not cool enough. I think we get a little caught up in this world and Twitter chat, like where they try to tell you what's the right way to build a business, but you're the one doing it. You're on the front lines. Make sure you focus on your customers more than the VC chatter. And I think the other thing about all of this data and like how you're using these LLMs is that in the case of Fireflies, for example, we're focused on enterprise knowledge. So everything that's being discussed in meetings is knowledge for the enterprise. And how can we effectively surface that? And if there are certain LLMs that do the job better than others, we're going to leverage those versus the models that are others. So there's also a lot of pre-work that we're now doing, determining which model, whether it's Anthropic, Cohere, ChatGPT, open source models, small models, big models, which models can get the job done more effectively 
quickly, more cost efficiently, and then decide how to do it and then suggest that to our end users as well. So I always think of it as giving our end users Lego blocks is a really helpful way for them to pick and choose what prompts they want to do, how they want to get the results. But all of this is only possible because we are working on top of unique data, your company's knowledge, and helping you extract insights from that. That makes a lot of sense. One of the difficult things about working with LLMs is determining what a good user experience is, good outcome is, and what a bad one is. Sometimes it's very difficult to pinpoint and to make explicit. How exactly do you determine which models, let's say you're pitting an OpenAI versus Anthropic versus Cohere, how do you determine which model is most effective for your use case? You have to look at a variety of things like context windows, how powerful that model is, the GPT-4 versus some of the other enhanced models. We also try to consider the nature of the job. Is it knowledge retrieval? Is it summarization? Is it indexing? Is it code generation? Is it crafting post-meeting emails from the conversation? So some models work better at writing and doing creative work. So a lot of it is trial and error and then creating a library of best practices that we can then suggest to our folks. Also tracking like how customers react to different models and then A-B testing too. Right? There is a entire culture someone can build around trial and error, just like how if you were to A-B test a button, right? Like a red button versus a blue button and try to measure. We have built sophisticated tooling to A-B test different output models and that impact that it has on customers. I don't think there's any other magic silver bullet today other than doing that for us. That makes a ton of sense. I think observability, A-B testing are incredibly important in the space. I I read something about Krishbot. That's something that you're building internally as an agent to help you answer questions, I think in Slack. I'm not sure if I'm getting that 100% correct. Wow, but, you did your research. Yeah, I was excited to dig into this one. So can you talk a little bit about Krishbot, the use case and how you're experimenting with these new techniques and then things in the AI space like agents? If I had, let's say, 10 different sales conversations or support calls that I've done, and maybe 20, maybe 50, maybe 100 of those different conversations that I had, which encompass 90% of the questions that customers are usually going to ask, and I've done webinars, and I've done other conversations where I've given very crystal clear feedback answers to customers. And then now I have to go and repeat all of that to my team and train them, right? Especially new hires, new salespeople, new support people, it can get very tedious. So we got this creative idea saying, let's go take all of the best conversations we've had across the company in relation to sales and support, and then build this Chris GPT or support GPT product that can in turn answer questions for people or how do we answer questions around features or this functionality, they can run it by the Chris GPT, see what the answers are and then use that as like a safeguard or sanity check. And this way it helps me scale myself so that I have to talk to 20 people on the team and it can be like my first line of reference. So it's like a teammate that we're deploying into Slack that everyone can talk to. So this gets me excited, right? Because once you have knowledge captured, you can unleash that in so many creative ways. And this is one way of doing that. I don't want to have to say anything more than once. So if I've said it once, it's equivalent to me having to say it a thousand times with this Chris GPT. I love the idea of just experimenting with these new techniques and using them to save you time. With agents, are there any difficulties that you're experiencing currently? Or has it exceeded expectations for the most part? 
Sometimes it's too good to a fault where it will take certain information and weigh it more than other information. And let's say some feature or functionality has changed. So how do you go back and retrain and update the Krish GPT to be up to date? So there's these sort of operational things that we're trying to figure out, but at scale, it's still very handy and it gets a lot of time saved for folks. But it's just about like how we evolve and grow and our decision processes change. We need to make sure that Chris GPT also evolves based on the updated conversation. So again, that's a byproduct of us feeding in newer relevant conversations so that it continues to learn and be smart. But if you don't have that, it becomes a challenge. Got it. And you've mentioned guardrails a couple of times. And with LLMs, especially part of the appeal is the creativity and their ability to replicate what seems like human thinking in a way that we previously didn't think that software could. And so on one hand, you have the creativity. On the other hand, you have to massage the creativity so that it works for your particular use case and it doesn't go off the rails What's your team's process of creating these guardrails or just taking that raw LLM foundation model? Yeah, that's actually something that I start to think about a little bit more in terms of guardrails. One of the things you can do is have the system explain to you how it got to that answer, where it pulled that answers from. And it's also a little bit of the UX piece. So when I can quickly go back to a specific part of the call and then refer to it and listen to that part, see the transcript and back the LLM's answer with what was actually literally written in the text that helps significantly in terms of alleviating some of those concerns. I also think guardrails need to be in the type of prompts that are used. So if I were to go ask Fireflies, tell me 10 reasons why I should hire this person, it's gonna fit the narrative to fit your story, right? So teaching folks to ask objective, unbiased questions is just as important because it's like a great lawyer. It can make up whatever reasons to help you believe. So we try to focus on instead saying, hey, what was some of the challenges that this person faced in their previous roles and how was that different from the other role that they worked at? Much more objective, compare and contrast, and you're getting literal data. So I want to leave the judgment to humans and allow the AI to give you all the tools and insights needed to make those judgments, the data point. And this is also like really a interaction experience, as I call it, like conversational interactions. That's also important in terms of guardrails. So having AI explain itself, being able to refer back to the data that it used to spit that answer out and then having guardrails around the type of prompts and questioning that is done, that will alleviate, I think, 70% of all of this black box confusion that exists. Makes sense. And you mentioned A-B testing as well. Now, is that produce tangible results for you in terms of improving the user experience in a particular use case? We found that certain prompts, certain models, certain types of AI apps, as we're calling them, as we deploy these LLM-powered apps on top of Fireflies, uh, really important to understand what customers like and don't like about those outputs. I think it just helps us keep refining and moving in that in the right direction. Awesome. Chris, I'm, I'm curious to know, as somebody that's building tooling to make meetings more efficient and allow you to extract the value from those meetings in a way that is very difficult to do manually, what's your meeting culture like at Fireflies? What are some of the principles that you abide by? What are some rules that you may implement to help drive the most efficient and effective meeting culture possible? 
For one thing, we ourselves don't have a lot of meetings because we dislike meetings. And I always like to emphasize that the reason we started Firefly was because we hate meetings and the redundant nature of meetings. Especially if you can think about you have an org-wide meeting, someone wasn't there, and you need to have another meeting to debrief them or update them. Nothing makes me more irritated than having a meeting for the sake of having a meeting. Fireflies eliminates the need for that. They can just go in and be able to just look at the recap, be up to date before a conversation. I'll use another example. If you're a candidate that's recruiting and if you do one interview and the next interview, they ask the same behavioral questions that will drive you nuts. You're like, don't these people do research? Don't they understand? Already I explained all of these to the recruiter. Why are they asking me the same questions to have me introduce myself from scratch? So at Fireflies, when we do recruiting, the meeting recaps are shared between the hiring manager, the recruiter, the interviewer. So you're actually having meaningful conversations each time. So we've had candidates tell us like, wow, you came in really prepared and present for this meeting and it helps you get to know more about a person. So we have a policy that before you hop into that meeting, you have to review the Fireflies recap and that helps make our interviews a lot more productive. So overall, like it goes back to this idea that you shouldn't have to repeat yourself more than once creates a great culture of documentation because if you've made changes or decisions over a span of a few months, all of that knowledge is basically documented in the different meetings. And if I was just using wikis or other like knowledge bases, those documents might be stale after one month, right? No one's going back and updating them. But Fireflies is a self-updating knowledge base. And so if we have a new hire, we can just go send them to some of the best conversations we had or why we made certain architectural decisions. And they can see how those decisions were made, who made those calls, how those decisions changed over time. And we can really get someone up to speed within a few days when they join Fireflies, right? So for onboarding, knowledge sharing, customer insights, it's been really powerful. One of the things is that product managers don't spend enough time in front of customers, maybe less than 10% of time in other orgs that I've seen with the voice of the customer now all captured inside Fireflies recapped. The salesperson can literally go take that snippet of feature requests or complaints and then share it directly with the PM and engineering team. And and they could say, hey, you don't have to take my word for it. Here's exactly what the customer is saying. You feel the pain, you hear everything in the voice of the customer, and then you're able to make better product decisions as well. So really what we're helping understand is the voice of your customers, the voice of your candidate, the voice of your colleagues, and the voice of your company as a whole. So the four C's as I call it, that helps us reduce the number of meetings we actually need to have. Super helpful. Thanks for sharing. So to close, I'm curious to ask you about what you're most excited about about the future of Fireflies and the many awesome projects that you're working on, what stands out to you as the thing that gets you most giddy? In the near term, we've seen an incredible amount of requests that people love using Fireflies for their video conferencing calls. But what about in-person meetings? So we have a mobile app coming out so that people can capture in-person meetings. Android is already out in beta on the Play Store. iOS is coming very shortly as well. And that way, if you're having any in-person meetings, you want to quickly capture maybe some voice notes or voice memos, you can use Fireflies for that. And you'll get both the recording, the transcript, as well as the summary. So I'm really excited about the launch of that. I've alluded to some of the things we're doing with the AI apps and agents. So we're going to have some, I think, killer apps that people can use to really customize Fireflies and personalize to their needs. So we're entering a world where the AI note taker is just one app on top of many that powers like all the cool things that happen on our conversational data platform, right? So that's what we're really building. And so, yeah, we're excited to see what sort of things we can unveil through it. And I think Fireflies is going to be able to do hundreds of different things with this app store.
And to finally close, so where can people learn more about you, find you online and learn more about Fireflies and get started? Yeah. To get started with Fireflies, visit our website, fireflies.ai. You can sign up for free. There's also a free trial where you can try out all of the cool capabilities and see if you like it for yourself. And then beyond that, we're pretty active on LinkedIn. I myself am active on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram, just Chris Stramanini is the handle and people can discover what we're doing and updates through those channels. Chris, thanks so much for joining the show. Super excited to share this with our audience and talk to you soon.